0: This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hey, welcome back to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Hey, if you're not watching us on YouTube yet, check us out and you can see me and my guests and maybe some graphics and links uh, to some other valuable information. Well, let's take the politics of firearms off the table a bit while we talk about threats to law enforcement officers I'm a firm believer in the Second Amendment, but we need to talk about ghost guns and follow-up on uh, firearms crime in America today. Today, we'll talk about response to uh, shots fired. We'll talk about ghost guns, and ghost guns are firearms that are privately assembled and untraceable. They can be assembled from buy-build shoot kits or from other parts that can be 3D printed. And unlike other guns, these weapons don't have serial numbers, so it's not surprising that they are the gun of choice for those not able to legally obtain a firearm. Google ghost guns to see the ubiquity of them and them being used to assault law enforcement officers. All right. Well, today we have a great guest, Tom Chittum. He retired from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, ATF, and the E, as a member of the Senior Executive Service. He spent his last year as Chief Operating Officer. Over the course of his career, he enforced a wide range of federal criminal laws, especially related to firearms and violent crime. After nearly 27 years in federal law enforcement, Tom joined Sound Thinking formerly known as ShotSpotter, to help promote and support the integrated use of the company's vast data holdings and comprehensive public safety solutions. He leads a team of experienced professionals committed to supporting robust and effective application of Sound Thinking's products in investigations, forensics, and litigations. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Tom Chittam Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, and you've got a a long uh, bio, it is in our show notes for those uh, looking to find out more about you. You're also an attorney. And um, we're going to talk about some legislature uh, activity on ghost guns in a minute. But first, in your career as an ATF agent, did you ever come across a ghost gun? Was it was it around as much as we're seeing it uh, today? Well, so I think it's important
1: to put it in context. As long as this country has been a country and before that, people have been making homemade guns. When I went through the ATF Academy as a brand new, wet behind the years ATF agent, I learned about homemade guns. Um, They weren't very common. And until recently, to make a firearm required you to have a relative level of technical acumen and sometimes specialized skills. The thing that uh, most people refer to as ghost guns today, ATF does not use that term, at least not officially. Uh, They refer to them as privately made firearms, and I can explain why. Um, It's only proliferated in the last several years, and that's because of this increasing availability, marketing of kits that make it very easy to do what once required a uh, skill, time, and tools to do.
0: Yeah, I hear what you're saying. My brother-in-law in Ohio uh, was making gun parts, uh, guns out of gun parts for, you know, several years, had quite a collection, and... Um, You know, we could talk about uh, black powder weapons and historical weapons that don't have serial numbers as well, but they haven't been a problem. You you haven't seen anybody come into a bank with a Navy pistol from the 1800s trying to rob a bank. But now we are seeing these crimes committed with these polymer guns, guns with no serial numbers uh, discarded in hopes that they can't be traced back to the individual. How are you and Sound Thinking involved in tracking unlawful firearm use in general?
1: Well, uh, so uh, Sound Thinking has a tool known as ShotSpotter. That used to be the company's name. Uh, the company has other products besides ShotSpotter, and that tool still is called ShotSpotter. It's acoustic gunshot detection. Uh, We use sensors spread out around areas that have historically suffered from high rates of gun crime. Uh, We detect and locate where gunfire occurs, and we quickly uh, notify police of those locations so they can respond, Um, uh, especially to locate gunshot wound victims. Um, As you know, very often as surprising as this is, Gunfire occurs, but is not reported to police, including sometimes when people are shot. In a single year in Oakland, California, ShotSpotter alerted police to more than 100 gunshot wound victims where there was no corresponding 911 call. So this service that we provide uh, helps police respond quickly. And it allows them to respond to a lot of gunfire that they just don't learn about from 911. It's surprising to some people that gunfire in urban areas doesn't get called in. There are a number of reasons why that is, but uh, it's a lot of missed opportunities for police to investigate crimes, to locate victims, to arrest offenders and hold them accountable. But it's also a lot of missed opportunities to reassure the community, hey, we really care. So when uh, somebody in the community hears gunfire, looks out their window and doesn't see police show up, they think it's because cops don't care, but it may be because cops don't know And we help fill that gap. Um, You asked about our nationwide role. Uh, The system is deployed in more than 150 cities across the country and growing. um, Many of the major metropolitan areas. And while each of our individual alerts has the value that we just discussed, there's also um, aggregate value. Uh, So measuring all of these alerts across uh, all of our customers Let's us see trends um, and uh, report that back to them so they can deploy the resources accordingly so they can keep the public that they serve informed.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned it that, uh, you know, often, uh, I don't know the, the ratio, but oftentimes in some of our uh, most violent neighborhoods, there are gunshots not reported to police. And the criticism on law enforcement in some of these neighborhoods has been that the low clearance rates of homicide um, are less than other neighborhoods, uh, white and Asian neighborhoods in in particular. And I think it goes to what you just said that sometimes in these neighborhoods, gunshots are fired, uh, sometimes people are hit and still no one picks up the phone to dial 911. And that's critical time. Uh, to gather evidence and maybe grab uh, suspects on scene. So, shot spotter. How how would you describe where Shot is put up? It's it's not arbitrarily uh, placed around a city, right?
1: No. And uh, you know, occasionally uh, we are criticized for only being in certain areas, and that always uh, strikes me as odd. Why wouldn't you deploy a tool in the place where it's going to do the greatest good? We're in the communities where people are most often assaulted and killed with firearms. This is public safety infrastructure. And uh, you you asked about the statistic. We do know what the the number is. Uh, Academic research says about 80% of gunfire in urban areas goes unreported. Our experience across customers uh, uh, confirms that. Sometimes it's much higher than that. 90% of gunfire going unreported. And that's shocking to a lot of people, because they think, well, if somebody was shooting in the neighborhood I live in, I'm going to call the police. But a lot of communities have grown numb to the sound of gunfire, or they have just resigned themselves to living with it. They assume police don't care. They fear retaliation. If they call 911 and a marked unit comes to their house, they're worried that people will see that and think that they are cooperating with police and they may become victims of retaliation or they assume someone else will call, but no one else does. And it's just a lot of missed opportunities uh, to to carry out the public safety mission that police have, but also to reassure the community that they really do care, Pops really want to do a good job, want to serve the community that they're there for. And I'll tell you, um, you you mentioned clearance rates. I think it's around about 50% across the country. we spend a lot of time trying to solve homicide It makes sense because we want justice for victims and their families, but there's research that says uh, aggressively investigating all shootings, even when they don't result in death, can have significant impact on uh, violent crime rates, even more so than just focusing on homicide, trying to clear those non fatal shootings has a deterrent effect, a specific deterrent effect. When you arrest a shooter, even on occasions where it turned out they weren't a killer, maybe because of poor aim or good medical aid, and can lock them up, you prevent every subsequent shooting and murder that they might have committed. And we know that it's a relatively small number of people who uh, commit these crimes. And so we think by having this information, by having as much knowledge as they can about the shootings that occur in their jurisdiction, by employing best practices and in investigating these alerts, police can have positive uh, effects in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. And you just mentioned essentially the dark figure of crime. We talk about it in class all the time. That's crime that goes unreported. And of course, uh, when we have these debates in open settings, in government buildings, and and hearings and commissions, uh, people talk about statistics, but there is such a huge number uh that that goes unreported that um, it's hard to to arm ourselves with with that kind of information to to show why this kind of technology is needed hey lawmakers and the supreme court have been wrestling with regulating ghost guns where do we stand currently nationwide I, i know State by state, there's there's attempts to regulate ghost guns. Um, forgive me for using the term, but I, I think that's what we're talking about these days. Uh, where do we stand nationally?
1: Yeah. So the official term that ATF uses is privately made firearms. So look to the Gun Control Act of 1968, and it defines what a firearm is, any weapon which will or um, is intended to or may readily be converted to expel a projectile by the action of an explosive. And uh, it also uh, considers the frame or receiver of any such weapon to be a firearm. Those are the legal definitions. But ATF has to operationalize that And we always think about ATF's um, law enforcement mission, but it has a regulatory mission too. And so it has to give clear guidance to the industry that it regulates. And so trying to take the definition that uh, Congress gives them and then put it into effect is is part of ATF's mission. So uh, uh, in the last last year, ATF went through a rulemaking process to update the regulatory definition of firearm, and it included in that definition, these uh, privately made firearms kits. So um, in the past, uh, people might just buy a frame or receiver that had to be uh, um, machined and then assembled with other parts. But some manufacturers got into the place where they were selling a complete firearm, basically in a kit. The whole thing came to your house, came with guides, it came with screws, it came with every piece you needed to put it together. Uh, But because it required a little bit of machining on the frame, these dealers were treating this item as not a firearm. ATF took the view that because it could be converted into a weapon, readily converted into a weapon, it was a firearm. And an analogy is helpful here. If you go on Amazon, and order a chair and it comes to you in a box and you have to take it out and put it together, it was still a chair when it came to you in that box, even though it had some assembly required. Same thing here. Um, This draws a line. It's probably not the line, but it's a line. If you sell a complete firearm in a kit, even if it requires a little bit of machining, it's still a firearm under the, the law. That's ATF's position. Of course, not everyone agrees with that. And so the litigation you talk about is still ongoing. Uh, a court, federal court in Texas disagreed with ATF's ability to um, make this rule and had invalidated it nationwide. Um, it worked its way up to the Supreme Court, which uh, put a stay on that, uh, only while the litigation continues. So that's not the end of it. Um, but ATF's new rule does stay in place while the litigation continues, at least for the present time
0: okay yeah i'm glad you talked about a chair because i've had uh boxes from ikea i put to, you know they may have said they were a table but after i put them together they didn't look like a table
1: <laughs> well you asked if i had ever recovered a, a ghost gun or a pmf no uh, when i was still in the field investigating cases they just weren't a thing I have uh, recovered like homemade machine guns as an agent, but the, the ghost guns that are um, so common today weren't a thing at the time. But because I very often spoke on these issues publicly on behalf of ATF, um, I actually went and put one together. I am not a super um, handy guy and it was not, easy, uh, not difficult to do. In less than a half an hour, I built a gun from a complete kit.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Hey, so uh, I described, uh, and we both talked a little bit about uh, ShotSpotter Alert. We know that you're probably using crime maps and data to show where they're going to be most effective and efficient. So they're put up there. Now walk us through. There's a shot fired. uh, I know that uh, ShotSpotter is a sensitive technology that can alert on other sounds as well. And you hear a shout, hey, Jimmy, get in the car, let's go. Doors slam, dispatch gets the notification, they send it out to a radio car and officers are dispatched. Walk us through the rest, uh, identification, forensic investigation, and identifying the perpetrator. How's that done?
1: Yeah. Well, the way you describe the system working is, is right. Uh, a gun is fired, sound travels out in all directions, It hits our various sensors at different times and by calculating the time difference of arrival, we can determine where the sound originated from. It's the same process that scientists use to locate the epicenter of earthquakes. We then go through some computer filtering and uh, any sound that is consistent with gunfire is presented to a human reviewer who looks at a number of factors before determining whether it is gunfire or not. And if it is, we publish an alert to our customers, the police, uh, and all of that happens in less than sixty seconds because when you're talking about gunfire in urban areas, time is of the essence. Um, police respond uh, to the precise location that we give them. Um, if if uh, let's say on those one out of five occasions where someone actually does call nine one one, very often they don't have a lot of information. They say I heard gunfire. It sounded like it came from out front, um, but they can't say if it was one block over or two blocks over or further. The sound of gunfire will travel a long distance. And so police have no choice but to sort of swarm the area and roam around and hope that they find a victim or some casings and maybe they'll drive through the crime scene. And we offer a better way. We tell you it's exactly here on this dot. There's a um, a, a radius of about 25 meters. We guarantee that it will be within that uh, radius 90% of the time. Our accuracy rate is a little higher than 90% it allows police to respond quickly. So we can tell them the what, the when, and the where of gunfire, but not the who. That requires investigating. Um, Sometimes we can tell them the how. For instance, we can distinguish semi-automatic gunfire from fully automatic gunfire. So we can say, hey, the shooting that just happened over here was with a machine gun. Um, When they show up, it allows them to initiate investigations. And sometimes that's as simple as getting out and making contact with people they find in the area and saying, hey, We got a report of gunfire. Did you see anything? Did you hear anything? Um, Very often they will locate gunshot wound victims. Sometimes they will make arrests and the alerts are useful evidence for that. Uh, But even when they don't find victims or suspects, uh, there's very often valuable ballistic evidence that gets left behind. uh, The firearms casings and using technology like ballistic imaging, Police can make connections between crime scenes that would have gone undetected before or between recovered firearms and previous crime scenes. So it's a really a, a pretty exciting time to be engaged in uh, firearms investigations.
0: Yeah, for sure. Hey, I wanna talk to you more about the locations, the geography and how ShotSpotter is working and how we're recovering more ghost guns. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly. Serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities, Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services, for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit Lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Tom Chittum, retired ATF executive and member of Sound Thinking. And you can think about ShotSpotter when you hear Sound Thinking from now on. Tom, what can you offer to small and rural agencies that just don't have the budget for the latest technology to help them uh, concentrate on crime?
1: Well, actually, what you find is that uh, some small agencies are uh, many of the best users of this technology. When they find that they have a relatively concentrated Uh, issue with gunfire. This tool can really help them respond and address it. And so we are actually deployed in small communities too. Um, It's not inexpensive. I don't think it's very expensive. When you look at our price, it's about a little less than uh, $8 an hour for around the clock monitoring of a square mile. That's pretty affordable when you're trying to deal with things like uh, homicides, aggravated assaults and a violent crime generally. Um, We always try to instruct our customers on the best practices for employing these tools, Uh, but how do they obtain it? Well, a number of ways. Some go directly from their budget. Uh, The federal government, uh, the Department of Justice, really sees the value in uh, crime gun intelligence. They have endorsed the use of technology for addressing violent crime. The White House specifically has said It supports using federal funding to obtain technology like acoustic gunshot detection. And so if a community thinks they can benefit from it, there are ways for them to obtain it.
0: Yeah, you know, we're at a time in America right now where we have uh, historically low numbers of law enforcement officers at agencies across the nation now is the time to be using technology and technology that takes uh, the, the accusations of race bias and things like that. When we talk about a gunshot fired, uh, it's oftentimes like a car stop when an officer has no idea who's driving, but that's certainly part of the argument that it's uh, race-based uh, traffic enforcement. In the case of a gunshot being fired without anybody identified, the sound is located, it, just as you described, it's dispatch officers arrived. Where are we next? Uh, what's what's the new technology coming out to help law enforcement?
1: Well, it's not hyperbole to say that the tools, the technology, the concepts of crime gun intelligence are revolutionizing how we deal with violent crimes, specifically gun crime. Um, it is uh, core to ATFs strategy, and it has spread. Uh, A lot of people recognize the wisdom of it, but here's the thing to remember, Jim. Each of these things is just a tool, and it's not the hammer that builds the house. It's the carpenter. Uh, This is one tool in the toolbox. Ballistic imaging is another tool in the toolbox, but there are lots of tools in that toolbox, and so I really do think the future of law enforcement will be better integration of all of these various sources of uh, intelligence, uh, some automation of doing things that uh, in the past have manually been done. For instance, intelligence analysis, using tools to make connections that may have taken a very long time if we depended on humans to make them. I think that that is going to make police more effective, more efficient, more equitable.
0: Yeah, and when we talk about um, chronic offenders who make up the majority of crime committed, uh, repeat chronic offenders, uh, it'd be great to be able to identify them. But when facial recognition came out amid criticism of accuracy, I don't know, 10 years ago, uh, there were there were legislative moves to suspend the use of facial recognition Uh, Hopefully, that's been close to perfected so that we could rely on some of that coming out. Uh, Do you see any hope for uh, more reliable uh, AI-assisted technology?
1: Yeah, I have to think so. You know, uh, you you mentioned facial recognition software. With any technology, um, there's always potential for abuse, and I think because of that, we have to be thoughtful in the way that we deploy it. Um, I think uh, adoption of many of these technologies should have uh, democratic support uh, informed by the input of people who are going to be affected by it. Um, you know, we work through these things slowly. Sometimes it takes time for case law to calcify around them. But I don't think that effective law enforcement. And civil liberties are mutually exclusive. I think they go hand in hand. Um, I think we have to continue to reinforce uh, constitutional principles. Uh, We have to make sure that our police are well funded, well supported, well trained. Um, You've mentioned what a difficult time it is to be a police officer. I couldn't uh, disagree. Uh, I I couldn't agree more. Um, I I don't know that there's ever been a tougher time to be in law enforcement. We look at the numbers of assaults uh, on our police on the front lines, uh, how many of them are being murdered for doing the difficult job that we ask them to do. And I think that that's uh, worrisome. It should be worrisome for all of us. It makes it harder to recruit good men and women into a profession that I think is absolutely essential uh, to our way of life in America.
0: Absolutely. 100%. Uh, I want to wrap up. uh, Mindful of your time, your valuable time. Every cop has arrested someone with a firearm in the commission of a crime, an assault, a robbery, what have you. Yet they see the suspect sometime a short time later, maybe a short stint in county jail or prison. Uh, You know, I said at the beginning of the show, Second Amendment issues and not you know, eliminating politics from the conversation, but are you involved or uh, is sound thinking involved in lobbying for mandatory sentencing for violent crime offenders with a firearm? Are, Are we in that conversation?
1: So at ATF, I would sometimes get asked those questions. What do you think the law should be? And my answer was always, I am a law enforcer, not a lawmaker. It is not up to me. It's up to Congress or the legislatures of the states to say what the law is, what it should be. And then uh, law enforcement takes the tools that they have been given and uses them to the best of their ability. Here at Sound Thinking, we do the same thing. We try to help law enforcement be as effective as it can with the tools that uh, the legislator, the lawmakers have given them.
0: Yeah understandable but still frustrating uh if we just leave it to legislators I, I just hope they have good advisors uh maybe somebody with law enforcement background to to steer them the right way we've seen you know some flawed criminal justice policy that just results in in worse situations than they hope to correct hey i want to thank you for your time in our show notes our listeners can see the sound thinking homepage, the S- shot spotter page uh, a recent scotus uh, supreme court of the united states decision on uh, ghost guns and uh, tom the rest of your bio thank you so much for for talking with us today and and shedding light on this important uh, issue i really
1: appreciate you having me
0: all right to our listeners i hope you enjoyed the show check out the show notes and learn more about tom chittam and ShotSpotter spotter and sound thinking and uh, maybe you can be using them maybe you use them already uh, to improve uh, gun detection firearm uh, shots fired and the follow-up forensics and investigation all right take good care stay safe and hope to talk to you again real soon